All right, if you'd open your Bible now to John chapter number 14, and I want to talk to you tonight in this little time that we have together about one of God's great certainties. Maybe you've never thought about God's certainties before, but God has many certainties. And when you come to John chapter 14, the words in John chapter 14 were spoken in the upper room to the disciples by Jesus on the night before the crucifixion the following day. So put yourself, just get in their shoes. You're in the upper room. Here's Jesus talking, and he says these words, not only these, but others that we have in the chapters near, but these are the words they were hearing Jesus say. And it's interesting, as you read this chapter, the entire chapter, we hear so much of this chapter in the first six verses when we go to funeral services. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, da, da, da. We hear these first six verses. But there is so much found in these remaining verses. It is filled with two things. Number one, listen carefully. It's filled with God's certainties and with ifs. I-F-S. In fact, there are seven ifs in John chapter number 14. I'll just show them to you. You might mark them in your Bible. But look in verse number 2. You'll see it. Jesus said, My Father's house of many mansions, if it were not so. Da-da. In verse 3, Jesus said, And if I go to prepare a place for you. And he went on with some more words. Look in verse 7. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. Look, look down in verse number 14. Jesus said, here's another if, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Uh, Look in verse 23, Jesus answered and said to him, this is Judas, not Judas Iscariot. Now he's left the room, but he said to, to the other Judas, he said, if anyone loves me, and then look down in verse 28, Jesus said, you have heard me say to you, I am going away and coming back to you. And then here it comes. If that's the seventh, if in the chapter. Now I'm not going to build a sermon around ifs, but if means it's not certain, but it gets certain based on what else Jesus said. Now, if we had time, we could go through the whole chapter and look at several certainties in this chapter. But I want to mention one certainty. I'm calling it one of God's great certainties that we find in this chapter. And we see it in a promise that Jesus made. So look with me in John chapter 14. Let's go back to verse 15. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Now look in verse 16, because here's where we're going to find this promise. It's one of God's great certainties. Jesus said, and I will pray the Father, and here comes the promise, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, talking about the Holy Spirit, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For, watch this, he, this is the Holy Spirit, dwells with you and will be in you. Boy, mark that. 
But the promise is what I want us to see tonight. And it's found in verse 16 where Jesus said to his disciples, he's saying to them, I'm about to leave you guys. I've been here with you, helping you. But very soon, I will no longer be here with you to help you. But I'm going to tell you what God the Father is going to do. And he makes them a promise. He said, even though I'm going to go away, God the Father is going to send another person to help you. And of course, that person is the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, let's think about something just a moment before we kind of digest that a little bit. I was thinking about, as I thought about that promise, I thought, you know, becoming a Christian is really an easy thing. Now, in one way, people make it very hard, but actually it's an easy thing. By that, I mean, there's nothing you have to do. Nothing depends on you. Do it. There's no work for you to accomplish in order to become a Christian. So in that way, it is a very easy thing. Very simply, you have to realize that you are a sinner. Now, that's kind of a, a, a little roadblock for some people. They don't, they don't do that. You have to understand that your sins separate you from God. You know, we all know that it's uh, wrong to do wrong, etc. But to realize that when we don't do things that God says we are to do, we don't measure up to God's standard. The Bible calls that sin. Let my left fist be God, represent God, and my right fist represent a humankind, you, me, and everybody. When we're born, we're little babies. And a little baby doesn't know right from wrong. A little baby doesn't understand about God. But there comes a point that a child at some age, different age for different ones, but people begin to know the difference from not only right from wrong, but they understand that wrong has something to do with God. It's more than just saying, hey, it's wrong to disobey mommy and daddy, but do they understand that has something to do with God? That's the age of accountability. And when people get that point in their life and they still make the decision to do what God says don't do, it's, it moves them away from God. They, God doesn't move away from us. We move away from God, and what moves us away from God is what the Bible calls sin. Sin is just simply the word the Bible uses for things that we do that do not measure up to God's standard. Or said simply, sin is when we do something or don't do something that makes God unhappy. The Bible calls that sin. And we have to understand that it separates us from God. The next thing we have to do is understand that nothing we can do can pay our sin debt. Many people don't understand that. They really don't. There's nothing a church can do to pay anyone's sin debt. I mean, churches can teach whatever they want to teach. There's no church anywhere on the earth that can do anything about a person's sin debt. We have to understand that. There's nothing your parents can do. There's nothing a, parent, a child can do for a parent. Nothing a brother can do for a brother, a brother or sister, or whatever the relationship might be. The point is, there's nothing anybody can do for anybody to pay their sin debt. And what we have to understand and believe, very simply, is that Jesus died on the cross to pay our sin debt. And when we believe that, we repent of our sins, that is, we turn from our sins, we ask Jesus to come in our heart, and we trust Him to save us. Now, that, in a nutshell... It's what a person has to do to become a Christian. It's more than just believing there's a God. Far more than that. 
It starts in the head, but it moves to the heart. But the fact of the matter is, it's an easy thing to do. A child can do it. We saw a little child this morning. One of the services came almost the age I was when I became a Christian. I became a Christian when I was about seven and a half years of age. I didn't understand everything about God then. I don't understand everything about God now. I gave all of me that I knew to all of God that I knew. And that's about what everybody does, whatever age you become a Christian. But becoming a Christian is, a, is really an easy thing to do because Jesus has done it all. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Now that said, would you agree with this? Living the Christian life is not an easy thing to do. What do you do when they just stare at you and won't amen? Well, I'll just give my own testimony. Maybe you're not having any deals out there, but I'm saying to you, for me, I knew something. I didn't understand it all, but becoming a Christian, it's not a hard thing to do. But I have been a Christian 70 years And I would give this word of testimony. I find living the Christian life to be a very hard thing to do. Sometimes my faith wavers. Does your faith ever waver? Sometimes flesh seems to get in control. Sometimes this, sometimes that. We just, let's just all be honest about it. Now, I know what we do at church. We clean up and we put on our Sunday best And we come to church so our public persona somewhat hides our private sin. You know, we can all look good for an hour. But out here in real life, I'm saying to you, living the Christian life is not an easy thing to do. You're not just dealing with all Christians, and even when you are. Some of them can be boogers. Could I have an amen to that? Yeah, just because you're dealing with a Christian doesn't mean it's necessarily going to be the easy thing to do. But here is the good news. God gives us someone, first of all, that allows us to become a believer. That is Jesus Christ. And then once we become a believer, God gives us someone, as Jesus was promising these disciples, to come and be our helper to help us live the Christian life, finding that we have a resource greater than the best we can do and the best we can be, and we see it. See, Jesus understood. On this very night when Jesus made this promise and they left the upper room, they go down to the Garden of Gethsemane. You remember that? And Jesus asked them to pray with him, and they all go to sleep. And Jesus comes back and says to them, you know, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The apostle Paul, he found living the Christian life. He's probably the best Christian who ever lived. And he said, it's in Romans chapter 7, the things I want to do, that's, that's what I don't do. The things I don't want to do, that's what I do. So the apostle Paul found living the Christian life was not a very easy thing to do. But this promise is so very helpful. Now let's be clear on one matter, and you might just jot the verses down. For time's sake, we'll not turn and read them all. But jot down, first, jot down excuse me, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, and I'm going to just read the verse. Romans chapter 8, in verse number 9, I want us to understand that when we become a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes to live in us. 
Every Christian has the Spirit of God in them. In Romans chapter 8 in verse number 9, the Bible says, but you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now listen carefully. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And I'll ask you to jot down another verse you might want to read. Read, if you will, in your Bible in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Just jot it down in verse 19. It talks to us about our bodies, the temple of the Lord, and that the Spirit of God dwells in us. So when you ask Jesus to come into your heart, you did the things I described a moment ago to become a believer, a Christian. <clears throat> the Holy Spirit of God came to live in you. You say, well, what is his purpose? Well, let's go back to the promise that Jesus made, and we're going to see his purpose. Jesus said to these disciples, I'm going to ask God the Father to send you another helper. Now, this word another is a very interesting word. The Greek word means another of the same kind. He said, I'm going to be going from you, but I'm going to send you another exactly like me, another of the same kind. And then I'm in the New King James tonight. He says another, and the word in the English in my Bible that I'm reading is helper, H-E-L-P-E-R, capital H, talking about the Holy Spirit. Uh, that's the word in Greek, parakletos. And it's interesting, parakletos is a Greek word, and I read one Bible scholar last week that made a very interesting statement about that Greek word, parakletos. He said, this word is untranslatable. I'd never heard that said that way. And I thought, he's right. And this is why in the different translations that we have in the room tonight, all of yours won't say helper. Some of you will say Holy Ghost. Some will say Holy Spirit. Some will say advocate. Some will say comforter. Some will say counselor. Some will say helper. In other words, the translators take that, that word, parakletos, and they try to translate it into a word, and they're just, they're just shooting all over the place because there is no one word that tells the whole story. And now the New King James, I love it. He, he's coming to be our helper. Jesus had been their helper. He had been their teacher. He had been their guide. He had been their everything. He said, now I'm leaving, but here's my promise to you. I'm going, the Father's going to send another. I'll tell you how I understand the word parakletos whether my translation says helper or Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost or advocate or counselor or comforter, whatever it is. Here's, here's what the, the idea of the word is. The Holy Spirit. How do you explain the Holy Spirit? Well, this will be an effort. I'm certainly not the last word on this, but here's, here's my grasp of it. The Holy Spirit is like Jesus himself in the present tense. Now, listen carefully to guide us in what to do, but now hear the rest of this statement, and to enable us to do it. You say, boy, that's a wordy way of saying that. Well, it is, but you should have heard it before I got it down to that. <laughs> Paracleto, look what he says. I'm going, I want to know what it is I have in me. So we have the Holy Spirit in you. Well, well what, what, who is he? What does he do? What's the value of having the Holy Spirit in me? He said, well, it means if you've asked Jesus in your heart, you're a Christian. Okay, I am. I'm a Christian. But I'm trying to live my Christian life, and you're trying to live your Christian life. Here's the deal. Inside of you, you have 
a person. And that person is the person of the Holy Spirit. The Greek word is parakletos. And it means like I have Jesus himself in the present tense living inside of me to do what? To guide me into how I'm to go, how I'm to live my life. But not only that, here's the icing on the cake, to enable me, use whatever words you want, empower me, energize me to do what he guides me to do. And to me, that is the most wonderful thing. Now, all that is true, but it's all built around one of those ifs that I mentioned when I started my sermon. Look back with me in verse number 15. Now, I have the Holy Spirit in me. So you get in the district. Now, I'm, I'm indwelt by the Holy Spirit. You're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. But we need more than that. We need to be infilled. That's a continuing thing. The indwelling is what happens when we're saved. But the infilling is a continuing thing. Okay. And it's all built around this if in verse 15. Look at the verse. Jesus said, if you love me, now what are you going to do? He said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, you know, the emphasis is always on now, if you want to be you know, spirit-filled and, 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 and just live a, that type life, what you have to do, you, you, the emphasis is always on obeying all the commandments. Now, this is not just referring to the commandments that Jesus gave. This refers to all of God's commandments. But the emphasis is not on the commandments. The emphasis is on the first part of this verse. Look at the first part of this verse. Jesus said, if you love me, this is the key. Right here is the key. I've mentioned previous, there is a difference between loving Jesus and being in love with Jesus. It's huge. Like I love a lot of people, but I'm not in love with a lot of people. You know, I mentioned, I think the last time I alluded to this, like, like I'm in love with Dottie. Okay. Okay. Uh, and, and, and that's that, that's that relate. There's a difference. We all love people, but there's some people you love in a special way, however you want to say it. But the point is, Jesus is saying here, if you love me, and, and, and the way you'll know, it'll be shown in your obedience to his commandments. But the, 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 the thing for you and for me tonight is not to say, man, what I've got to do, I've got to get out here and I've got to obey God's laws better. I've got to do better. No, here's all you have to do. Just be in love with Jesus. Just be in love with Jesus. And there'll be a radiance and a resilience about your life that will be like the glow of God, Shekinah glory of God on a person's life. And I can think of people that you just see that when you see those people. Even going through difficult things, somehow, some way, they have something. And that something is someone, that someone is the Holy Spirit of God in them that enables them to cope with whatever they are going through in life. And I'm saying this to you tonight. Jesus said it well in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and all of his righteousness. And then he said, all these things will be added unto you tonight. My prayer as I've worked on this sermon is first for my own self that I will, the rest of my life, each day, just love Jesus more. And if we'll just love Jesus more, the end result is we'll obey the commandments far greater. But what we will have, 
we will have his spirit not only who indwells us, but to infill us, to guide us. Like tomorrow, I'm dealing with several things tomorrow. If I deal with that in my own ability, in my mind, in my flesh, it'll be one way. But if I let the Spirit of God guide me and enable me, you know, however things work out, that'll be his business because I'll be doing it his way. And that works for me. That works for you. So my encouragement tonight is very simply this. is say, God, I look at that word. If you love me, keep my commandments. Father, my prayer tonight for all of us. And God, I know everybody here loves you. That's not the issue. They wouldn't be in church. They didn't love you, God. Some maybe more, some less. But God, I'm talking about something far more than more and less. I'm talking about just being in love with Jesus. I know it sounds kind of over the top thinking about that. But God, the truth of the matter is it's not over the top. It's from above. It's what you tell us to do. And God, so many things just kind of take that from us. And we just get so caught up and so into so much about life and then God things happen they do I think about a year ago tonight we were getting ready to experience Harvey we didn't any of us know a year ago tonight exactly what we were really going to experience but God the truth is there have been many who are witnesses that your spirit helped them, was their helper to cope with what they had to cope. God, people that we have prayed with this past week and some we visited in the hospital, some very real things out there. But the fact is, your spirit will be their helper. God, my prayer is that there just be a, a revival in all of our hearts and in each of our hearts to just be in love with Jesus. And then, God, when we do that, there's a radiance, there's a resilience. Everything is so different. For those tonight, God, who have that desire, I pray now that your spirit will just somehow speak to them. Maybe there's some area of their life where they need to repent. Maybe there's some secret sin they need to confess. But God, if we could just be cleansed and have your spirit infill all, infill all of us, we would ourselves see the difference because there'd be a difference. Our public persona would no longer be the issue. It would be the details of our private spiritual life. And God, that's what you see. I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.